podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device. And you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. Today is Thursday. It's the 4th of May. We're approaching another weekend, which is always nice. It brings with us a full weekend of Premier League games. But last night, we had two games in the Premier League. Liverpool won, Fulham nil. A bit of a nothing game where neither team was great. Liverpool deserved the win on balance of play, but had Fulham got a draw. He couldn't really have complained too much. Salah wins the game for Liverpool from the penalty spot after Darwin Nunes is chopped down by Issa Diop. Yes, it was a penalty. No, it was not a dive. No, Fulham have not been hard done by. Yes, it's different 
to the Manchester United one against Nottingham Forest because in that occasion, Scott McKenna clearly kicks the ball before making contact with the man. Diop missed the ball, made contact with the man. It's a penalty. Stop crying because your team got denied a penalty that looked similar at a different occasion. That just means the referee got it wrong on that occasion. He got it right last night. And by the way, this is a Liverpool team that went nearly a full year in the Premier League without a penalty. So behave yourselves if you're claiming Liverpool get all the advantages. That was that game. That means Liverpool are pretty much comfortable in fifth, five points clear of Tottenham, five clear of Villa, same number of games played as both, seven points clear of Brighton. Brighton do have three games in hand, but I wouldn't expect them to win all three. But I still think Brighton are in with a great shot at the European spot. Uh, for Fulham, it means they stay 10th. It's three defeats in a row. It's seven defeats in the last nine. So they're very much on the beach and just kind of cruising their way through. But they did cause Liverpool some trouble last night. Uh, they still look like a comfortable bet for a top half finish. They're five clear of Palace with the same number of games played. Six clear of Chelsea and Bournemouth. Now, Chelsea do have a game in hand, but they're, they're absolutely rotten at the moment. So you wouldn't expect them to do much of anything. In the other game, Manchester City 3, West Ham United nil. Yet another win for City. And they are once again top of the Premier League. A point ahead of Arsenal with the game in hand and an easier run in. It is very, very hard to see that they would let this slip now. City, from here, I think it's quite straightforward for them. They have Leeds on Saturday. I know they'll have Big Sam. I don't think that'll make much of a difference. Leeds are horrendous defensively. Everton away after that. Again, straightforward. They'll win that one. I think they will beat Chelsea quite comfortably. And I think in that time, Arsenal will have dropped points I don't think City will need to win either of the Brighton or Brentford games. I think they could probably end up losing both and still win the title because I just don't think Arsenal are going to be able to run the table. I think they'll drop points at Newcastle. I think they might drop points at home to Brighton as well. Um, For City last night, very comfortable, very routine, very straightforward, rarely threatened. Nathan Aki scored on 49 minutes. They had to wait till the second half to get their first goal. It's a really, really nice header at the back post. I would say there's a strong argument that Nathan Aki has been their third best player this season after Haaland and KDB. Now, Rodri's had a really good season. Gundigan's been really good. Stones has had a pretty good second half of the season. Diaz has had a good second half of the season. But if we look back to August... Other than Haaland and KDB, I don't think anyone can say they've had a better season for City than Nathan Aki. Um, in that first half, City should have been three up. Fabianski made a couple of decent saves. City wasted a couple of good opportunities. Rodri, uh, Rodri hit the post. It was all one-way traffic. The Aki goal was fully deserved. Haaland made a two on 70. Uh, Grealish slipped him in, timed his run well, lifted the ball over Fabianski. That is 35 league goals for Erling Haaland this season, breaking the all-time Premier League record. I think yesterday I said it was held 
by Shearer and Kevin Phillips. It was Shearer and Andy Cole, obviously, not Kevin Phillips. Um, 35 goals in what will be a 38-game season. Obviously, City have only played 33, and he hasn't played in all of them, so his goals per game record is disgusting. Ridiculous. 51 in all competitions. The guy is a freak. He's a, he's a machine. He's an absolute machine. And they're finally figuring out how to use him properly. So he's involved more in the build-up play rather than just having to try and focus everything on getting the ball to him as much as possible. Uh, Andy Cole does still have the record, though, for most non-penalty goals in a season. All 34 of Andy Cole's goals were from open play. Haaland has 28 from open play and seven penalties. So, you know, it, it... it is just a reminder that Andy Cole put together a hell of a year. 34 non-penalty goals in 40 appearances that year in a 42-game season. Um, Haaland has obviously a better goals per game record and his non-penalty goals per game are better as well. But, you know, just want to give Andy Cole his love. Uh, Phil Foden wrapped it up in 85, coming off the bench. A volley from the edge of the box that took a big deflection off Emerson Palmieri and wrong-footed Fabianski. Uh, it it was justified. It it represented a, a more reflective scoreline than 2-0 would have. So, yeah, City comfortable winners. Uh, West Ham just not good on the night at all. And like I say, I expect City to win the league. But for West Ham, they're 15th. They've now played the same number of games as everybody else. They're four points clear of Leicester, Leeds and Forest, and five clear of Everton. So they do have that advantage. And the remaining games could be favourable. United at home next. You just don't know what United. I think United are going to lose tonight. And maybe they struggle against West Ham, but I still expect United to win. Then they go to Brentford. Brentford are on the beach, but it'll still be tough enough, but I think they could win that game or at least get a point. And if they can beat United and get a point against Brentford, they'll be safe. But the last two are Leeds at home and Leicester away. Both of those teams are battling against relegation, so they will be up for those games. And Sam will make Leeds harder to beat. And at that point, he'd have had a few games in charge. So you'd expect that they will have improved. But West Ham will be looking at that game and thinking, we win that game. And you win that game, that alone probably keeps you safe because I don't see any of the others taking seven points. And you'll have 37. Maybe one of the others can win two games and end up on 36. But there's two others there that I still think will finish below you. Uh, and Southampton, obviously. And Leicester final day. Leicester will be battling for everything. It may well be that West Ham lose. I think they've probably done just about enough that they're going to be safe with one good result. So one win probably keeps them safe. But I, I really don't think anyone would have thought West Ham would be in this position come the end of the season. I really don't. And look, there is a world where they lose all four games. Especially with eyes on the Conference League. Those two games coming up against Alkmaar. 
there is a world in which, especially that Brentford game, which is in between the two, maybe they rest players. If they don't get the great, the, the ideal home result against Alkmaar in the first leg, maybe they rest players for Brentford ahead of the second leg. And if they came out of the second leg having gotten knocked out, maybe there's a bit of a hangover there and maybe Leeds can pull a fast one on them. And maybe they do go into that Leicester game on the last day of the season needing a win to stay in the division. It, you just don't know. This league is so unpredictable this season. So many poor teams. So many poor teams. And West Ham are one of them. They really are one of them. 18 defeats this season. That's appalling for the amount of talent they have. And I I would bet on them losing at least one more, which means they'll have lost half the games this season. And I think right now, if Southampton have already lost 22, Leicester have lost 20, so over half of what the season can be. I think Everton will probably lose at least two more. I think Leeds, Forest, at least one more. West Ham, at least one more. And it wouldn't surprise me if Bournemouth and Wolves lost at least two more. I mean, that's eight teams losing half their games in a season. Liquidate the whole thing. Give us the Super League. This is this is shocking stuff. Absolutely shocking stuff. Anyway, we have one game in the Premier League tonight. And that will see Manchester United travel south to take on Brighton. Brighton will be looking for revenge from the FA Cup semi-final, a game in which they outplayed United and were beaten on penalties. Brighton have some injuries. Uh, no Lalana, Evan Ferguson is a doubt. Jakob Motor still out. They had hoped he'd be back, but doesn't look likely. Um, Sarmiento is out. Veltman is out and Lamptey's out. That's a lot. But Manchester United also have a lot of injuries. Martinez out, Van de Beek out, McTominay out, Varane out, Garnacho almost certainly out, Heaton out, Jones out, and obviously Mason Greenwood uh, not allowed to play. It's a lot of injuries. And the fact that they're missing both centre-backs is is key. Now, will Slabhead make a return tonight? Would you fancy Harry Maguire trying to defend against Brighton's pace and movement? Could well be that Luke Shaw starts at centre-back again. Because Luke Shaw has actually looked good at centre-back. I think Luke Shaw's looked better at centre-back than Martinez did. So, you know, United fans are all very excited about Martinez. But the results speak for themselves. And he was part of a team that conceded seven, conceded six, got absolutely torn apart by Newcastle, by Brentford, has conceded 39 goals this season in 32 games. Admittedly, he hasn't played the last few, but their defensive record in the last few has actually been better than it was when he was in the team barring the away game against Sevilla. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they miss Martinez at all. They miss him in the build-up. His build-up, his passing is very good, but defensively, they're actually better without him. Um, so yeah, one game tonight. I'm going to predict a Brighton win. I think Brighton win the game 3-1. I don't don't think United will cope with those rotations. Brighton at home as well, different beast. Caicedo McAllister will be back in the team. Gross is in really good form. Solly March had a great season and he'll want redemption 
for missing that penalty. And I would bet Matoma has been studying Juan Basaka for the last couple of weeks and trying to figure out where the weaknesses are. And there are some glaring weaknesses. So don't be surprised to see him attack those. And a stupid and on the overlap will be problematic for United as well. Because Anthony, while he will track to a point, he gives up at a certain point and doesn't have the pace to keep up with Matoma if Matoma's going full pelt the other way. Um, so that's tonight. Let's look through the other divisions then. The championship. So at the weekend, Blackpool 2, Millwall 3, Coventry 2, Birmingham 0 in a Midlands derby, Sunderland 2, Watford 2. Watford have announced that um, they will be once again changing managers, which, I mean, I get that when Chris Wilder joined, it was you know, till the end of the season. But are you going to find a better manager than Chris Wilder? Give him the summer, let him put his style of play in place, let him add a couple of players that suit his style of football. But no, he's off. So another new manager coming to Watford. Uh, Hull City won, Swansea won. Sheffield United four, Preston won. Reading won, Wigan won. Bristol City 1, Burnley 2, Stoke City 1, QPR, sorry, Stoke City 0, QPR 1, West Brom 2, Norwich 1, Cardiff 1, Huddersfield 2, big win for Huddersfield, Rotherham 1, Middlesbrough 0, bad result for Borough, and Blackburn 1, Luton 1. We have one game tonight that is Huddersfield against Sheffield United. That game had to be rearranged because Sheffield United were in the FA Cup semi-final. And then on Monday, we will have the final round of games in the championship. Wigan against Rotherham, Millwall, Blackburn, Luton, Hull, Middlesbrough, Coventry. A couple of big games here. Millwall, Blackburn, Middlesbrough, Coventry. There's playoff implications involved in both of them. Uh, Preston, Sunderland, Huddersfield, Reading. That's a relegation battle. Burnley, Cardiff, Birmingham, Sheffield United, QPR, Bristol, Swansea, West Brom, Norwich against Blackpool, Watford against Stoke City. The table, as it currently stands, has Burnley top on 98 points. One more win in their last game and they will break the 100-point mark, which is the sign of a really good championship team. Uh, Sheffield United looking good value probably to break the 90-point mark, which is impressive and would have won the championship a couple of years. Luton are third. They will be in the playoffs. Middlesbrough are fourth. They will be in the playoffs. Those two are guaranteed third and fourth spot, respectively, in the playoffs. And then it's complicated. Then we have five teams potentially for two spots. We've got Coventry City on 69 points, Millwall on 68 points, Sunderland on 66 points, West Brom on 66 points, and Blackburn on 66 points. Now, Blackburn's form has cratered. No wins in the last five. So, I don't fancy their chances, if I'm being honest. But... If they beat Millwall, they will go ahead of Millwall. And then it just depends on what happens 
with Sunderland and West Brom because they have better goal differences than Blackburn. Coventry's situation is clear. Beat Middlesbrough and you're in. In fact, a draw and you're in. That's all they need to do. Get a draw and they're going to be in. They have a superior goal difference on West Brom and on Blackburn and on Sunderland, but only by two goals. So Coventry could even potentially get in if they lose, but a draw and you're definitely in. And that would then set up Borough versus Coventry in the playoff semifinals. Um, West Brom and Sunderland. West Brom away to Swansea, Sunderland away to Preston. Preston is the easier game of the two, but not by much, largely just because they're in really poor form at the moment. But yeah, that's going to be an exciting uh, battle on the final day then for those spots. After Blackburn, there's a gap to Swansea who can't qualify for the playoffs. Then Preston, then Norwich, disappointing season. 12th is not acceptable. Then Watford, then Hull, Bristol City, Stoke City, Birmingham City. QPR have gotten themselves out of the mess. They're going to be fine. Rotherham, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Reading, Blackpool, and Wigan. Blackpool and Wigan are gone. Huddersfield can relegate Reading if they pick up a point tonight. They will be four points clear of Reading going into that final day match against Reading. So even if they lost that one, they would stay up. Now, a point is all they need. Go and play for the draw. Sheffield United have nothing to play for. Go and get yourself that point tonight. Make yourself safe going into that final game of the season. What they can't afford is a heavy defeat because that would then open the door for Reading to jump them on goal difference with a win at Huddersfield on Monday. But yeah, that's where we sit. It's down to Huddersfield or Reading to go down. Remember as well, Reading are going down based on points deduction. So Huddersfield can consider themselves quite fortunate. But get a draw tonight, get a win in your last game, and you jump Cardiff and Rotherham, and nobody can point the finger and say you only stayed in the division because Reading got points deducted. Uh, moving on to League One. Um, we had a game Tuesday and a game Wednesday. We also had a full round at the weekend. We'll do the weekend first. Shrewsbury nil, Sheffield Wednesday three. Ipswich 6, Exeter 0, MK Dons 4, Barnsley 4, Morecambe 3, Lincoln 2, Forest Green 0, Oxford United 3, which means we go to Duncan Ferguson's managerial record, 17 games in charge of Forest Green, 1 win, 3 draws, 13 defeats, a 5.88% win percentage. Staggering stuff. For the career, 22 games as a manager, two wins, six draws, 14 defeats, 9.09% win percentage. He's won one of 17 at Forest Green. How does he still have a job? How is this still a thing that Duncan Ferguson is still employed? One win in 17 games. That is abysmal. 
absolutely abysmal. Peterborough nil, Bristol Rovers nil, Bolton two, Fleetwood nil, Accrington Stanley one, Cambridge United two, big win for Cambridge at the bottom of the table, Wickham nil, Cheltenham three, Plymouth one, Burton Albion nil, Charlton three, Port Vale two, Derby one, Portsmouth one, Tuesday night, Shrewsbury two, Bristol Rovers one, and last night, Burton one, Cambridge nil. That's a blow for Cambridge. Uh, on Sunday, then, we get the final round of games in League One. Lincoln City versus Shrewsbury. Fleetwood against Ipswich. Sheffield Wednesday versus Derby. Cambridge United versus Forest Green. Fleetwood against Plymouth. Portsmouth against Wickham. Accrington Stanley against... Uh, sorry, Oxford against Accrington Stanley. Barnsley against Peterborough, Exeter against Morecambe, Cheltenham against Charlton, Bristol Rovers against Bolton, and Burton Albion against MK Dons. Plymouth are up. Ipswich are up. Sheffield Wednesday are guaranteed of third, which means they'll be in the playoffs. Barnsley are guaranteed of fourth and will be in the playoffs. Bolton are guaranteed a playoff spot. We don't just know whether it'll be fifth or sixth yet. So we don't know if they'll play Barnsley or Sheffield Wednesday. The final playoff spot will come down to Derby or Peterborough. Derby have a two-point advantage and a better goal difference. So a draw in their last game likely gets them in. But if they win and Bolton lose their last game, they can actually jump to fifth and play Barnsley, which would leave Bolton facing Sheffield Wednesday. Um, And if... Derby win, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter at all what Peterborough do. Uh, after Peterborough, it's Portsmouth, Wickham, Charlton, Lincoln, Shrewsbury, Fleetwood, Burton, Exeter, Bristol, Cheltenham, Port Vale, Oxford, now safe, MK Dons, Morecambe, Cambridge, Accrington Stanley, and Forest Green, bottom of the table. There are four teams going down. Forest Green are gone. Accrington Stanley are almost certainly gone because while they're only three points behind MK Dons, they're 16 goals worse off. So Accrington Stanley are gone. Then it's Cambridge on 43. Morecambe and MK Dons both have 44. Morecambe have won three in a row to give themselves a chance of staying up. But they're eight goals worse off than MK Dons. So if they match MK Dons' result, win or draw, despite having the more the, the same amount of points, they will go down. Cambridge need to win and hope that the other two lose. That's their only hope. Because they're seven goals worse off than MK Dons. Oxford are three points ahead of MK Dons and Morecambe, but they're going to be safe because their goal difference is minus six, whereas the others are minus 22 and minus 30. So they're going to be safe. So fun final day in the League One table. Uh, Only two things left to decide. The final playoff spot and the two final relegation spots. Those games all kick off at noon on Sunday. 
the big thing going in Cambridge's favour is that they face Forest Green, who are dreadful. MK Dons are away to Burton, which will be tough. And Morecambe are away to Exeter. Now, Exeter got pumped at the weekend, but they're and they've lost five in a row. So Morecambe could go there and win. But Exeter might want to finish the season on a high. So Cambridge all is not lost yet. We'll have to wait and see how that one plays out. Um, it will be a tremendous achievement if Duncan Ferguson ends the season with one win from 18 games in charge. Truly magnificent. Um, and that will be two wins from 23 career matches in charge. And you would hope, you would hope that this will be the last game he is ever allowed to manage because he is awful at this. Absolutely shocking. Uh, in League Two, <clears throat> at the weekend, Rochdale 4, Sutton United 1, Stevenage 2, Grimsby 0, Gillingham 1, Newport County 2, Crawley 0, Walsall 0, AFC Wimbledon 1, Tranmere 1, Northampton 1, Bradford 2, Hartlepool 3, Barrow 1, Doncaster 1, Colchester 0, Carlisle 2, Salford 3, Mansfield 1, Harrogate 2, Crew Alexandra 1, sorry, Crew Alexandra 2, Swindon Town 1, Leighton Orient 0, Stockport 3, last night, Crew Alexandra 3, Bradford City 2. So at the weekend, we get Sutton United against Carlisle, Walsall Doncaster, Bradford City, Leighton Orient, Salford Gillingham, Newport against Crewe, Barrow against Stevenage, Grimsby against AFC Wimbledon, Stockport against Hartlepool, Harrogate against Rochdale, Swindon against Crawley. Swindon against Crawley. I remember many years ago going to see Swindon play Crawley in the FA Cup at Crawley, which was quite close to me. And I went, obviously, with Paul Sterrett, big Swindon fan. And um, it was it was quite the quite the experience. Um, good fun. A lot of good fun. Uh, Colchester against Mansfield and Tranmere against Northampton. All games kicking off at 12.30 on Monday. Uh, the table is as follows. Leighton Orient are top. They're going up as champions. Stevenage are confirmed promotion. They will finish either second or third, but they are confirmed to go up. Three teams going up automatically here. Northampton currently sit in third place, two points clear of Stockport. So they could finish second or they could finish third or they could finish in fourth. Stockport are the only team that can jump into the top three. Otherwise, they're guaranteed a playoff spot. Um, And they're the only team really guaranteed a playoff spot but goal difference means that Carlisle are pretty certain of getting in. Salford and Bradford have 75 points, same as Carlisle, but a worse goal difference there. Four and five goals worse off, respectively. Mansfield are three points behind. They're the only team that can jump in. Their goal difference is plus 15. Bradford's is plus 18 and Salford's is plus 19. So they would need a good win and the other side to lose by a couple of goals. In all likelihood, uh, it ends with it ends with Mansfield missing out. They've lost their last two as well. They kind of blew their chance to jump the gap. Uh, then it's Barrow, then Swindon, Tranmere, Grimsby, Crewe, Sutton United, Newport, Doncaster, 
Walsall, Gillingham, Harrogate, Colchester, AFC Wimbledon, Crawley Town, and going down, we have Rochdale and Hartlepool. They are both relegated from the National League. Um, Nothing they can do now, unfortunately, except get ready for next season. In the National League, we had no games. uh, Sorry, we had a full round of games the weekend, and we had the semi-finals taking place this week already. So the last round of games for the season were Gateshead 4, Maidenhead 0, Oldham 1, Bromley 1, Dorking 2, Scunthorpe 1, Borehamwood 1, Yeovil 0, Solihull Moors 0, Woking 1, Notts County 1, York City 1, Torquay 1, Wrexham 1, Halifax 1, Eastleigh 1, Chesterfield 4, Maidstone 0, Southend 2, Wheelstone 1, Barnet 0, Dagenham and Redbridge 2, and Aldershot 1, Altrincham 1. So the table ended with Wrexham top 111 points on the season. Notts County second, 107 points on the season. What an incredible season, and you finish second. Chesterfield third, 84 points. The gap, incredible. Um, then Woking versus uh, Woking, then Barnet, Borehamwood, Bromley, Southend, Eastleigh, Dagenham and Redbridge, Halifax, Oldham, Wheelstone, Gateshead, Solihull Moors, Dorking Wanderers, Altrincham, Aldershot, York, Maidenhead, Torquay, Yeovil, Scunthorpe, and Maidstone United. We had the semi-finals, sorry, the quarterfinals of the playoffs. So Notts County and Chesterfield, finishing second and third, they got buys into the semi-final. And Borehamwood beat Barnet 2-1 at Barnet in the first quarterfinal. That was Tuesday night. And Borehamwood earned the right to go and play Notts County at Notts County on Sunday at 12.30. Last night then, Bromley went to Woking and won 2-1, and they earned the right to go to Chesterfield Sunday at 3.30. The winners will then play the following Saturday in a 3.30 kickoff to decide who goes up. Notts County are a very clear favourite to go up here. It would be cruel if they don't come up, given the season they've had. It would be really, really cruel. But Borehamwood will be difficult, and whoever they get in that final is going to be difficult. But fair play to Borehamwood and Bromley going away in the quarterfinals and beating two teams that finished above them in the table. Uh, We will jump now to La Liga. At, At the weekend, and then we'll do the midweek. At the weekend, Osasuna nil, Real Sociedad 2, Elche 4, Rayo Vallecano 0, Real Madrid 4, El- Almeria 2, Barcelona 4, Real Betis 0, Cadiz 2, Valencia 1, Villarreal 3, Celta Vigo 1, Espanyol 1, Hitafe 0, Valladolid 2, Atletico Madrid 5, Mallorca 1, Atletico Bilbao 1, Sevilla 0, Girona 2, that's a really bad result for Sevilla, uh, this week in the midweek games, on Tuesday night, Barcelona beat Osasuna 1-0, Almeria beat Elche 2-1, and Real Sociedad beat Real Madrid 2-1. Sorry, 
Uh, last night, Valencia and Villarreal played out a 1-1 draw. Atletico Madrid, 5, Cadiz 1. I would wonder when the last time a Diego Simeone team scored five in back-to-back games. They're playing brilliant football at the moment, by the way. Genuinely brilliant football. Uh, and Hitafe won Celta Vigo nil. Tonight, Girona faced Mallorca, Sevilla faced Espanyol, Rayo Vallecano faced Valladolid, and Athletic Club de Bilbao take on Real Betis. Barcelona are almost there. A win at the weekend and they will be champions. They're 13 points clear with five games to go. Atletico Madrid have now jumped Real Madrid and are second. Real third, Real Sociedad fourth. That is going to be the top four because there's a seven-point gap from Sociedad to Villarreal. Villarreal almost certain to finish fifth. Although Real Betis have two games in hand and only five points behind, so they could jump them. Uh, Then Bilbao, then Girona, then Osasuna, Vallecano, Sevilla, Mallorca, Celta Vigo, Almeria, Cadiz, Valladolid, Valencia clinging on by the skin of their teeth on goal difference outside the relegation zone, uh, Hitafe, Espanyol, and Elche. So you've still got Espanyol, Hitafe, Valencia, Valladolid, Cadiz, and Almeria. Realistically, all of them are in the mix to go down. Two from that group of six will exit the division. Espanyol, 19th, but with that game in hand, they're three points behind Tafe and Valencia. If they can win that game in hand, it'll draw them level. They'll have a worse goal difference, but then it's just a fight to the finish. Uh, shaping up to be a decent end of season at the bottom of La Liga, but it's likely to be all wrapped up at the top quite quickly. Uh, in the Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund needed only one game to bottle their title push. Bochum won, Dortmund won. Really poor from Dortmund. Really, really poor from Dortmund. Union Berlin nil, Leverkusen nil, Cologne nil, Freiburg won, Eintracht Frankfurt won, Augsburg won, Stuttgart two, Gladbach won, Leipzig won, Hoffenheim nil, Schalke two, Werder Bremen won, Bayern 2, Hertha Berlin 0. Dortmund opened the door and Bayern just marched right through it. Uh, Wolfsburg 3, Mainz 0. So the table is as follows. Bayern top a point clear of Dortmund. Bayern's last four games. Werder Bremen away should be straightforward. Schalke at home, easy win. Leipzig home, it'll be tough enough. Cologne away should be a straightforward win. I expect them to win all four. I don't see how you'd look at it and think otherwise. Now, admittedly, they've dropped points in games you didn't expect them to drop points in already this season on multiple occasions. Dortmund have Wolfsburg home, Gladbach home, Augsburg away, and Mainz at home. This was set up for them to win the league. This was just there on a plate for them to win the league, and they've managed to throw it away. Now the question is, will Bayern throw it back to them? Union Berlin are third. Freiburg are fourth. They both have a two-point advantage on Leipzig. There's then a six-point gap to Leverkusen. Then it's Wolfsburg, then Mainz, Eintracht Frankfurt, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Cologne, Werder Bremen, Augsburg, Hoffenheim, 
Stuttgart, Bochum, Schalke and Hertha Berlin. Hertha Berlin are going down. Um, they will join a, a long list of massive German clubs who've been relegated in the last decade. Uh, moving to Italy, where the title is pretty much wrapped up as well, but will probably be confirmed today. Uh, so at the weekend, Lecce won Udinese nil. Spezia nil, Monza two, Roma one, Milan one, Torino one, Atalanta two, Inter three, Lazio one, Cremonese one, Verona one, Napoli one, Salernitana one. A win for Napoli would have confirmed them as champions. Sassuolo two, Empoli one, Fiorentina five, Sampdoria nil. They've bounced back with a nice win there. They've been on good form, had a slip up, now they're back. Bologna one, Juventus one. In the midweek games, um, all these took place yesterday. Juve 2, Lecce 1, Atalanta 3, Spezia 2, Sampdoria 0, Torino 2, Salonatana 3, Fiorentina 3, Monza 1, Roma 1, bad result for Roma, Lazio 2, Sassuolo 0, Milan 1, Cremonese 1, Verona 0, Inter 6, Inter putting themselves in position to take the fourth Champions League spot this season. Empoli, Empoli play Bologna and Udinese host Napoli tonight. And all Napoli need is a point. Napoli are 15 points clear. Now, to be clear, the title's over. They're 15 points clear and their goal difference is plus 18 over Lazio. Lazio are plus 28. Napoli are plus 46. Lazio have five games left. They would need to win all of them. Napoli would need to lose all of them and then they'd need to hope that the goal difference went the other way. So realistically, all Napoli need tonight is a point, but the title's over as it stands. Uh, Lazio second, Juventus third, Inter fourth, Atalanta fifth, Milan sixth, Roma seventh. If Roma finished seventh, that is devastating for Mourinho. But they're still only two points behind into Milan. So that's going to change a bunch of times here and there. And Juve's form has not been good, so you could easily see them having a little dip. Then it's Fiorentina in 8th, Bologna ninth, Monza 10th, Torino 11th, Sassuolo 12th, Udinese 13th, Salernitana 14th, Empoli, Lecce, Spezia, Verona, Cremonese, and Sampdoria. Sampdoria are as good as gone. They have 17 points. They are... 10 points from safety, plus they've got a worse goal difference, so basically 11 points. Sampdoria will be relegated, which is um, is tough. It is tough to see one of the one of the great clubs from Serie A going down. Uh, but as a Genoa, I wouldn't say fan, but supporter, uh, you know, good enough for you. Uh, Cremonese will probably go as well. And it basically comes down to Verona or Spezia. It's going to be one of those two. Let's say have a four-point gap. You would imagine they'll be okay. Empoli should be okay as well. They're a point ahead of Lecce. So I think it's between Spezia and Verona for that last spot. Um, so last spot of survival. Um, shaping up to be a good battle for the top four and a relegation scrap as well. That's basically what we're getting from Serie A. The title race is over. Um, in Portugal, Rio Ave 1, Aroca 0, 
Maritoma 1, Vittoria 2, Braga 4, Portimonense 1, Chavez 1, Casapia 0, Vicella 1, Pacos Ferreira 2, Gil Vicente 0, Benfica 2, Estoril Praia 3, Santa Clara 0, Porto 1, Boa Vista 0, and Sporting 1, Familia, sorry, Sporting 2, Familia 1. Table is as follows with four games left. Benfica are four points clear. Then you get Porto. Then you get Braga. That's going to be the top three. Sporting are going to have to content themselves with a fourth place finish in Europa League football. Aroca, Vitoria, Familia, Chavez, Vicela, Casapia, Rio Ave, Boa Vista, Porto Menens, Gil Vicente, Estorel Perea, Maritoma, Maritimo. I don't know why I say Maritoma. Maritimo. Uh, Pacos Ferreira and Santa Clara. Santa Clara are, are gone. Best of luck. Enjoy enjoy the second division. Um, Boa Vista need to get their act together. They're traditionally the big four in Portugal are Benfica, Porto, Sporting and Boa Vista. And they've just been a train wreck for years now. Get your act together and get yourself sorted out and back up the table. Uh, we'll go to France where PSG are starting to vomit on themselves. Uh, Strasbourg 1, Lyon 2, Lille 3, Ajeco 0, Monaco 0, Montpellier 4. Big, big win for Montpellier on the road over a team with, you know, Champions League ambitions. Um, Clermont 1, Reims 0. Ren 4, Angers 2, Troyes 0, Nice 1, PSG 1, Laurent 3. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi sent off on 20 minutes in that one to uh, aid Laurent. Um, Marseille 2, Auxerre 1, Toulouse 0, Lens 1, Brest 2, Nantes 0. Now, PSG are still going to win the league. They are five points clear of Marseille with <clears throat> five games left, but they have lost two of the last five. So, And they've now suspended Messi for the next couple of games. So it's at least going to get interesting. Uh, after Marseille, it's Lens, Monaco, Lille, Rennes, Lyon, Clermont, Mont- Nice, Laurent. Laurent had that great first half of the season and sold two of their best players in January and have just collapsed, but a great win over PSG. Uh, then Reims who the, the will still um, shine is starting to dull a little bit. Um, Toulouse, Brest, Auxerre, Strasbourg, Nantes, Troyes, Ajeco and Angers. Those, but the bottom three are all going down. Troyes, Ajeco and Angers. None of them are getting out of that. There is, there is 10 points between Troyes and 18th and Nantes and Strasbourg in seven, 17th and 16th. 10 points. They're not making that up in five games. That one is pretty much over at the bottom. It's more the battle for the the Champions League spots and the um the title that's kind of still up in the air, but they'll be finished, I think, fairly quickly. We will finish with a little trip north of the border to Scotland. Now there was no games at the weekend. Uh there are games this weekend, but it is just worth checking in and pointing out that Celtic knocked out Rangers in the Scottish Cup semi-final. At the weekend, a 1-0 win for Celtic. Jota with the only goal of the game. A thing of beauty is that young man. 
uh, tremendous footballer, absolutely stunning to watch play, has just this balance and grace and a lovely burst of speed and always picks the right pass, always picks the right pass and pops up with big goals when Celtic need them. Celtic need one more win to confirm themselves as champions. Five games left. 13 points clear. One more win will see them across the line. The hope is that this weekend they draw with hearts and Rangers beat Aberdeen. Because then next weekend, Celtic can go to Ibrox and win the title in front of the Rangers faithful, which would just be a beautiful thing. Would be beautiful, wouldn't it? You ponder that. I'll take a break. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, it is Thursday, which means it's listeners' questions. We've got quite a few coming in. The first one comes from producer Guy, who has asked, other than Frank Lampard, who is the clear frontrunner, who are the other contenders as the worst manager in Premier League history? Now, Guy made it clear, none of this Terry Connor caretaker nonsense Real appointment, thought out and planned, went and got the guy, celebrated the guy, and he turned out to be utterly dreadful. The first one that always will spring to mind is Christian Gross, who we knew from the off was going to be disastrous when he turned up and started waving around a ticket for the London subway and calling it the ticket to his dreams. I'm sure in his head it sounded good, It was an absolute disaster. We're going to stay with Spurs because they've got a couple of other belters here. Jacques Santini brought in, very high profile. Martin Yole was to be his assistant. He was to be the manager. Uh, He lasted a sum total of 11 games and was out the gap. Three wins in his 11 games. Thank you. Goodbye. Um... Also at Spurs, Juan de Ramos arrived with a a kind of a big 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 reputation. He just didn't do very well. Simple as that. Just didn't do very well. Um, We'll stop bullying Spurs now and we'll move on. Uh, One name that always springs to mind as well is Paolo Di Canio. Uh, His ill-fated stint at Sunderland. Um... I mean, the things he said to some of the players and the fact that the players basically 
turned against him and refused to play and got him sacked after about 12 or 13 games. I think that says it all. Bob Bradley at Swansea, fairly shambolic. I think he won two of 10 or something like that. Uh, Bob Bradley did not do a good job there. So he's he's definitely in the mix. Um, I know he finished second at United, but Holly Gunnar Solskjaer, I mean, when you factor in what he did at Cardiff especially, dreadful. Dreadful. Frank De Boer has to be very high on this list. He he lasted five games. He won one of them and he got sacked. Um, so he's got to be up there. Aston Villa's Remy Gard. I think I think that might might even trump Lampard. He was shocking. Now he has had other jobs. Somehow, he he originally got the job as Leon manager. Um, he played for Leon. He obviously played for Arsenal as well and Strasbourg. He became a TV pundit. Then he joined Ar- uh, Leon as a coach. Was an assistant to Gerard Houllier, and somehow got given the manager's job when Claude Puel resigned, having had a bunch of other little roles in there. Um. He did win the Coupe de France, so, you know, fair play. He had a bit of success there. He was appointed Aston Villa manager on November 2nd, 2015, on a a three-and-a-half-year contract. He oversaw 23 games and won three of them, a 13% win rate. Uh, He was sacked on the 29th of March. He then went on to bring his uh, talents, shall we say, to Montreal Impact, but was sacked after... Two years, less than two years there, and has not gotten another job. So yeah, he he's definitely got to be right up there. And a recent one that I think is is always worth remembering is Jan Seaworth, who was appointed to replace David Wagner at Huddersfield. Took charge of nineteen games. I think he won one of them. So that's that's fairly special. So, yeah, there is my uh, not not exhaustive list, but I think that's a fairly comprehensive list of really, really bad Premier League managers. Uh, we will move on. Uh, Rick M, could Cody Gakbo become football's light, 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 light version of Tim Duncan? He has the game intelligence, good technique, and is always looking to play in his teammates in a selfless way. I do like the comparison, but I would say Tim Duncan was not only the big fundamental. He's also one of the best defensive players the game of basketball has ever seen. And I I don't think Cody Gakpo is great defensively. He's a decent presser, but I think he lacks a little once the game goes behind him. The other thing with Tim Duncan that makes him stand out is he's one of the best leaders of all time. He was a generational leader of men and his team danced to the beat of his drum and what he told them went and Greg Popovich empowered him to be a leader, and he rewarded him with five NBA championships. So uh, I do like the comparison in terms of Cody is fundamentally very, very good. He's also very... What's the right word here? He's understated. 
You know, he's very, he just goes about his business. He doesn't make a lot of noise. He just gets on with the, with the job and does things the right way. He's got great game intelligence, like you mentioned. So I do like that comparison. But yeah, I mean, a, a, a very, very, very light, 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 light version of Tim Duncan. Yeah, but that's, that's not, let's not bring the name of one of the, the greats into, into the conversation just yet. Uh, Keemstar is correcting me on my error from yesterday of mentioning Kevin Phillips, not Andy Cole. I didn't see that, but yeah, I was wrong. I've corrected it today. Uh, Matt JT, if Liverpool keep the current system, who would you target as a backup for Trent? Do you look for another right-back, number six hybrid, or a traditional right-back or something else? I think you have to look for a right-back midfield hybrid type. And there are... There are three names that stand out to me, and one of them will not be all that popular with with some who expect every Liverpool signing to be uh, super expensive and you know immediately off the top shelf. And uh, that is Ainsley Maitland Niles, who is twenty five years of age, turns twenty six in August. Plenty of experience at right back, plenty of experience in midfield. He's good on the ball. He's good off the ball. Is he a great player? No, he's not. Is he a good, solid player? Yes, he is. Could he do a job? Absolutely. And he's free and he's homegrown. So I would take Ainsley Maitland-Niles. If we're going to spend a bit, spend some money on the role, though, the two that stand out to me, one is a right back who can play in midfield. The other is a midfielder who can play right back. So I think they can make the position work. Also, age-wise, they both fit in. One's 22. One is 24. The 22-year-old who'll be 23 in the summer is Lutcheral Gertruda from Feyenoord. Um, playing under Arnie Schlott, he has had a similar enough role to Trent in some of their build-up play. And he's also very versatile, can also play as an out-and-out six, can also play as a centre-back if needed. Uh, he would make a lot of sense to me. And he's a vital part of a Feyenoord team that's going to go and win a league title this year. I didn't actually do the area divisi when I went through the different leagues, but uh, right now, Feyenoord are eight points clear of PSV with four games left. Feyenoord are going to win the Eredivisie this season, which is a tremendous achievement. And he has been absolutely vital to that. So I would say he's definitely won. And the other one is Tyler Adams. Leeds are very likely going to go down. And a big part of their relegation is going to be the injury to him. He's a really good player. And I would very much be in favour of bringing him in because not only is he your Trent backup, he could also play where Henderson is currently playing. He could also play Fabinho's role. I think from a personality standpoint, he'd fit in really well. He's noted as a leader, which is important. He's a guy that's been around winning as well. Won the Supporter Shield with New York Red Bulls. Won the Cup with Leipzig. Has had success with the USA at senior level. And won the Under-20 Championship in CONCACAF with the US Under-20s as well. He is someone I would strongly look at if Leeds go down. But either of those, if you get either of those for somewhere in that 20 to 25 million pound range, either of them would be tremendous business. If there's no money for the position, then Ainsley Maitland-Niles is the one that makes the most sense. 
He's not solid, not spe- he's not spectacular, but he's solid. But Adams and Gertruda are the two I would look at. If if money isn't an issue, they're the two to go and look at. Both of them can fill in in a multitude of positions, not just as the Trent as the Trent cover. Um, in regards to Richard, this is AMK two eight eight nine. In regards to Richarlison and this tattoo, I'd like an eleven from you, considering of eleven players, I think they're God's gift to the game, but in reality, are bang average or less. Not necessarily overrated, but players I think very highly of himself. Clearly like Richarlison. Also, I've heard from a few of the podcasts that I listened to that Neymar actually reached out to Richarlison and asked him to get himself removed from the tattoo. Supposedly even offered money to get the tattoo removed. Not sure if any of this is true, but I honestly don't care. But the situation is pretty funny. It is funny. It is funny. Um, and if he's asked him to be removed, it's even funnier. I, I Personally, I don't believe that Neymar asked to be removed. I, I think he probably loved it because he's just a weird guy. Um, right, let's think now. Well, first things first, Big Sam is going to be the manager of this team after his comments that he's every bit as good as Guardiola and Klopp. Uh, so he's the manager. Um, Scotty Parker can be his assistant manager because he thinks very highly of himself. Um, right. Goalkeeper Jordan Pickford. He thinks he is the business. He is bang average. Um, defenders. Dejan Lovren believes he is a great defender and he is utter, utter tripe. So he is going to be one of our defenders. Um, Harry Maguire, I think, believes he is one of the world's great defenders and is not. So he is going to be our other centre-back. There's our starting two. That's a, that's a strong base to build from, isn't it? Lovren and Maguire with Pickford behind. For full-backs... I'm I'm going to assume I can take players that have retired now. Um, so I'm going to pick Micah Richards at right back. Micah Richards seems to be under the but no, actually no. Do you know what? I won't because he has said he has said he 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 did underachieve in his career. He, so I'll leave him alone. Um, Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson, he he thinks he was great and he was shit and swearing is necessary. He was shit. Left back, I'm going to go with... Maybe it's a bit hard. I was going to say I'm going to go with Luke Shaw because Luke Shaw is under the impression that he is God's gift to all things football, but he's actually, he's he's decent, like, so we leave him alone. Um... Who else would be a really good fit as a left back in this team? I mean, I think Graham Lasso has an overinflated view of himself, but Graham Lasso was a good player. Just trying to think through Premier League left backs over the years because there's been been a lot of good ones. Been a lot of bad ones as well, admittedly. But a lot of good ones. Do you know what? Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is going to fit in. Now, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was a good player. But he believed 
he was the best left-footed crosser of a ball in the world and he just wasn't anywhere close. So we're going to go with Giovanni from Bronckhorst. In midfield, Jordan Henderson is of the opinion he's a great player. Now, people think, people pretend he's humble. Watch his interviews. No, he's not. Whenever he's asked a question, this arrogant smirk comes across his face. He plays like he thinks he's a great fella. When he scored that goal against Milan and cupped his own ear, having cost Liverpool two goals in the game and been absolutely dreadful throughout, that's the sign of real arrogance. I'm putting Declan Rice in next to him. You're talking the talk about wanting to be a top four player, about how you've been consistently good enough over the last couple of years. You've been crap this season. And you've quit in your own team multiple times. You're the leader of that team. You're the captain. So Declan Rice is in. And our third player... I'm going to go with Jesse Lingard. Bang average. Believes he is the dog's bollocks. So he's in. There can be only one number nine, and that is Sir Nicholas Bentner, who genuinely thought he was a great player, and he was crap. Richarlison will fill in on the left and on the right. Ooh. Oh, looking for one more on attack. Ideally a wide player who's very full of themselves, but isn't very good. Um, I'm having a bit of a blank at the moment. If you know, you know what? Uh, he didn't make the greatest professional, but I'm going to pick Jeremy Lynch. I'm going to pick Jeremy Lynch. Most people, I'm sure, will know who Jeremy Lynch is. He is one of the duo that makes up or, or made up, I don't know if they're still together, uh, the F2 freestylers along with Billy Wingrove. Now, Jeremy is great at trick shot football and um, and the like, but uh, this man did once say that he was told by Arsene Wenger that he was on the ball the best player at Arsenal. Now, at that time, Jeremy Lynch was 15 or 16 years of age. That was around 2003, 2004, which, of course, is the invincible era at Arsenal, uh, during which time Thierry Henry, Robert Perez, and Dennis Burkamp were all at the club. And uh, he said that with a straight face. So, honorary mention. You're getting in, despite never having been a footballer, because I've never heard a more deluded thing in my entire life. So yeah, Jeremy Lynch is in. Isaac Gilding, with Sam Allardyce in the news again, can you build the highest class 11 who could still play Big Sam's long ball style? What's the ceiling on one of those teams? I I genuinely think you could easily get top four playing that style of football. But you would have to have top level players and the, the pr- thing is, you'd be wasting them in a lot of ways. Like, for example, Allison could play that style of football. Allison can be direct with his distribution. So Allison in goal, he's big, he commands his area. These are all things Sam looks for. 
Virgil is one of the centre-backs. He's big, he's dominant, he's quick. He's a good long passer. And he's great on set pieces. So you go with Virgil. I think next to him, you might go Sven Botman. Another great passer from the back. Can pump them long balls into the box with accuracy. For fullbacks, you're looking for up and down fullbacks who get into wide positions and whip crosses in. So, I mean, you could play, you could play Trent and Robertson. We, we'll take Trent out because he, he does like a bit more solidity in his uh, in his defensive play. Um. Will we go with Robbo? No, do you know what? We'll go with we'll go with Teo Hernandez. We'll go with Teo Hernandez as the left back. Up and down the wing, whip them crosses into the box and don't worry about anything else. And on the right, we'll go with maybe go with a more defensive right back because he did like to have kind of one and one, but he also wanted his crosses. Maybe you can get someone that's good at crossing from deep. So we'll go with Tommy Yasu. No, you know what? We'll go with Ben White because he's having a good season. So we'll go with Ben White. So we've got Ben White. Pump them balls into the box, son. We've got Virgil out of position, mind, as a right side centre back. Botman. And we'll go Teo Hernandez. Although he'd probably like a bit of. Bit of Nathan Aki in there as well, a bit more solidity. But we'll go with we'll go with Teo. Uh your midfield, you've got to be big and strong, and you've got to be able to go box to box. So we're gonna go with Chuameni and Moises Caicedo. Win the ball and give it to the lads that can play. Um <laughs> the centre backs. Win the ball and give it back to them, and they'll pump it forward to us. Up front is gonna be my my two, Ollie Watkins and Ivan Tony. They're my front two. Pump them balls in. They'll chase lost causes. I think they'd link up well. We're going to go with those two. In the wide areas, he generally liked a goal scorer and more of a, a kind of creator is not the right word, but yeah, somebody who can do We're just going to go with... We're going to put Jacob Ramsey as one of these players. We're going to put Mason Mount as the other. Mason Mount and Jacob Ramsey in the wide areas, bursting into central areas. That's basically Big Sam's wet dream with Mount not having to track back a whole lot because he's got Ben White behind him. Ramsey been able to tuck in field and form a midfield three because you've got Theo uh, bombing forward. That's what we're going to go for. I think that's that's the type of team that can play big Sam football. Imagine pumping balls into the box, Tony and Watkins causing absolute mayhem in the box, and then you've got Mount and... Um, and Ramsey arriving on the edge of the box to pick up second balls. I, I think Sam would absolutely adore that that group. So uh, could that group win the league? Possibly. Great goalkeeper, two great centre-backs, two great midfielders, a great left-back, a good right-back, two very good wide midfielders, two very, very good strikers. I think that team could win the league. I do. I think that team could win the league. Because I don't think the modern-day Premier League teams would enjoy playing against that type of team. 
And if you've got Virgil and Botman who can both ping that ball 60 yards and land it on the head of an Ivan Tony or an Ollie Watkins, if you've got Teo able to get wide and whip crosses in at them, if you've got Caicedo and Chiumeni just able to win the ball over and over and over again from midfield, and then you've got Mount and Ramsey able to get you goals alongside the front two, uh, I think that's pretty pretty much what he would want. I think that's a, a Sam team. Now, it's a very, 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 very rich man, Sam. But I think it's a Sam team. Um, we have two more. This one comes from Nasu then. Um, there's two questions. Well, actually, three questions. How do you think Brighton line up without Caicedo and McAllister next year? Could Deserby play with two forwards with Joe Pedro joining? Um, what I would expect to see is that he sticks with the same shape, but I think the number 10 role becomes more of a second striker role. So I think what we'll see is Ferguson, Enciso, Matoma, and Jesus kind of rotate. And CISO can play 10 or left wing. Ferguson, obviously, is only a striker. Matoma is a left winger. They'll just play those roles. But I think Enciso will play both of those roles. And I think, um, I think Joe Pedro will play both nine and 10. So I think you'll see some rotation there. I think he's going to want to do the same thing. Solly March or Buenanote, uh, Solly March starting Buenanote kind of as the backup in the future in that right-sided role. I would say they probably will look to, to bring in a couple of midfielders. They've been linked to uh, Fratesi of Sassuolo, different type of player to Alexis. But if they're playing more of a, like Alexis is, is kind of the 10 anyway. Um, I know Gross sometimes plays the 10, Alexis sometimes plays deeper, but I would look at Fratesi as an upgrade on Gross, and then you've got Enciso or Zhao kind of replacing Alexis in the team. Replacing Caicedo will be tough because he's very unique, but I do think there's a good chance they might keep him for next season, at least until January, especially with Europe coming up. Oh, well, hopefully for them. Um, so I don't think we'll see much in the way of a change bar that number 10 spot will become more of a forward and less of a midfielder. So that'll be an adaption that they'll have to make. But other than that, I think they'll stay largely the same, if I'm being honest. Uh, he also, uh, could he play with two forwards? He could for sure. It's not something he's done massively that I've seen anyway at Sassuolo or Shakhtar. He does tend to like one up, one off and his two wide men. But it's definitely an option. I mean, he could play Zhao up top alongside Evan Ferguson, but I think he'll like him in behind Evan Ferguson. I wouldn't be surprised to see Zhao play the nine with Enciso in behind as well, but I do think Ferguson and Zhao could be really, really good. is a very interesting player. Um, ideal central midfield options for Manchester United and DM options for Newcastle. For the tune, I think uh, Florentino Luis would make a lot of sense. Because if you look at it, the best run of form he's had in his career was next to Enzo. Bruno and Enzo share a lot of similarities. 
he's that mobile, destructive ball winner that I think would fit into that high-energy midfield. And he doesn't take too much out of the ball because you don't want a controlling DM. You don't want someone that's going to take a lot of touches. You want someone that's going to get the ball and give it to Bruno. Um, so I think Florentino Luis could fit. Manu Lugart could fit. Manu Kone could fit. He's not necessarily an out-and-out defensive midfielder, but he's definitely a ball-winning, wrecking, box-to-box destroyer type. You could look at Amadou Onana. Uh, He's got a lot of traits that would fit well into how Eddie Howe has this team playing, and he would fit well with, with Bruno. If you wanted a more sitting ball winner but controller, you could look at Romeo Lavia. Now, I think he's been really good for Southampton this year and he's been let down by the fellow next to him, but I, I would have no doubts that he can step up to, to Newcastle's level. If you sit him as the six and move Bruno to the eight and then have the other one be the runner, be it Willock, be it Jolington, be it Longstaff, whoever, I, I think I think Lavia could make a lot of sense. The, the rumours are that Eddie Howe wants to bring in Ward-Prowse and that would be that would be a mistake in my view, because you can you can look beyond Kieran Trippier's defensive shortcomings because of what he offers on set pieces. But if you bring in Ward Prowse and he's starting, Trippier's not going to be on set pieces. So now Trippier becomes an issue, and Ward Prowse offers nothing outside of set pieces. So there you've got two issues. Um, but Lavia would fit as well. Um, I don't think he'll be for sale, but kind of every player at this club is for sale. And you could look at Sally Oskam from Borussia Dortmund, who is kind of a do-everything midfielder. He's not an out-and-out defensive midfielder, but he does win a ton of ball. 25 years of age. He's had a couple of injury issues. That would be the sort of the thing that would hold you back on him. But he he is very, very good. And certainly one who'd be worth uh, giving a look to. And the final one then is someone that it would be a step up for them from the caliber of league that they're in at the moment. But Matt Weaver at Feyenoord, 23 years of age, big and powerful, wins a ton of ball, just made his Dutch debut this year as well. He might be, he might be a really good fit. He's been great this season for them vital in how they play. He might be worth considering. He's only had the one season there. So potentially they might want to hang on to him, especially if Gertruda and um I'm blanking on the the Turkish midfielder's name, uh Koku. If if both of them leave, they might want to keep Vifer Vifer, Vifer, I don't know which it is. Um, but he would be he would be a really good fit in that role for Newcastle as a sitting six, win the ball, give it to Bruno. That's what he's done all season. Wins the ball, gives it to Kaku. That's doesn't doesn't try to do anything fancy. Doesn't try to do anything he's not capable of. Very nuts and bolts. The other one would be Joe Polina from Fulham. Now I think he'd be a great fit there because he can be a sitting holder or he can go box to box and be a destroyer. So he gives you the option to do either, and he would fit really well with Bruno. 
given you're going into the Champions League, I might actually lean towards him because he's got experience at the highest level, you know, and he's been around a while. He's got international caps. He's played in big tournaments, played in big pressure games for sporting, won a title with sporting, obviously. Jeff Polina might be the play. Jeff Polina might be the play. Um, Centre midfielders for United. I mean, for me, I might be tempted to just keep Sabitzer and not do anything else in midfield this year other than maybe look for a young up-and-coming defensive midfielder who could come in as a backup and potential successor to Casemiro. Who that player would be, I don't quite know. But I I quite like Ericsson in this deeper role, I have to say. I do like Ericsson in that role, and I think Sabitzer's done well there, and Sabitzer can also play the Bruno more attacking role. You'll have Donny van der Beek back. You know, he might leave, but... Do you know what? There's one guy that does kind of... does kind of pop to me as someone that would make sense for this United team because he's used to how you play. And that's Kenneth Taylor of Ajax. Now, it means going back to Ajax again. But Kenneth Taylor at 20 years of age is is that holding midfielder, but he's a very progressive passer of the ball. So Kenneth Taylor would be one that is worth considering, I, I think. Um, right, I have another question here. This one is from uh, Jimmy Roscoe Hill. Can you, um, he actually sent me these a while ago and I completely, I, I, I saw them, acknowledged them and then never got back to them. Um, can you unpack why you put Maradona number one? Not trying to debate your pick, just curious. And what are your thoughts on exclusive TV rights? EPL in my region is only on Fubo. I love the game, so I don't care, but there are many people in my community who are new to the game but cannot watch the game because they don't have football. I think the EPL is missing out. I do as well. My belief is that what the Premier League needs to do is not sell TV rights in the way that they do. I think what they need to do is put all the games on their own streaming platform, similar to NBA TV. Now, NBA TV obviously also sell TV packages, but I think you could lower the number of games that you're selling. Those games get blacked out on the on the app. So let's say you're going to be selling the big games. So let's say Liverpool versus United. You sell that game to Sky, you sell it to Peacock, you sell it to whoever. That game is not available then on Premier League TV. It's only available in that other spot. Now... There is merit, I believe, to not selling any rights at all and just having them all for yourself. Because, like, let's be honest, how many people per month watch the Premier League? It's got to be a couple of hundred million every month. Well, if half of them were willing to pay... Let's actually just going to Google this. Premier League TV audience. Apparently, on average, 1.9 million people watch a game on Sky. That's in the UK. That's not global. 
Um, monthly. We factor in streams and everything like that. I do think there's probably a hundred million watching globally. So the year all the games were broadcast because of COVID, 40% of the UK population, which is 26.8 million people, watched live Premier League games and 50 games to an audience of over 2 million. That's just in the UK. I would estimate that globally there's there's a hundred million people minimum that would want to watch the Premier League when you factor in the US, Canada, Australia, the Middle East, the Far East, Africa, and obviously the rest of Europe and whatever fan base there is in South America. If you could put that product out every game live through your own streaming service, also available on an app. And let's say you say to people, you can pay 15 quid a month, 10 quid a month, let's say 10 quid a month, and watch every single game for 10 or a month. That's 500 million a month based on 50 million people. And I think you would get 50 million that would sign up to it. That across an eight, nine month season, is that nine month season? <laughs> August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. It's a 10 month season. That's 5 billion quid. That's more than they're making at the moment. It's five billion quid a year. It's more than they're making at the moment. It doesn't have to be fifty million. If it's twenty-five million, that's two point five billion a year, which is in and around what they're making now globally, in and around. But if you could also make it more than just the games, you could have your own shows, have your own analysis, have everything yourself in-house. Yes, the cost would be high, but I genuinely think it would bring in massive numbers. Because, look, for people who stream a game, right, if you try and stream the four games a month your team might play or six games a month your team might play, and then you're trying to watch other games, you might watch 10 games a month. Let's say you're a normal person, not like me, and you might watch 10 games a month. Wouldn't you rather just pay 10 quid and know that you're going to have guaranteed quality coverage of the game and not some dodgy stream that some fella's doing from his mom's box room? Wouldn't you just prefer that? I think it would be signed up to in huge numbers. My belief is that Premier League TV is something they need to need to look into, not sell the rights to anybody. Do it yourself. Go and business with amazon or facebook or whoever you know it's not not going to be that hard for you to do um as for maradona why do i why do i believe he's number one my belief 
And this is my belief. Everyone's entitled to their own, but this is mine. Is that from 1984 to 1990, the level Diego Maradona reached is higher than the level anyone else has ever reached. Now, I accept that Messi has done extraordinary things in the game. I accept that he's got more impressive numbers of goals and assists. I also know that he played in a league that had basically no defending for many years, in an era where everything was catered for far better, in an era where the rules are so drastically skewed in favour of the attackers, it basically makes it impossible to play defensive football. Whereas Maradona used to get volleyed up in the air. He used to get kicked mercilessly every single game. And what he did at Napoli in carrying them to two league titles and the UEFA Cup, and with Argentina carrying them to a World Cup. Now, I understand Messi won a World Cup this year as well, but he won a World Cup with no great teams. Maradona won a World Cup with multiple great teams. And he didn't have one of them. I don't think anyone ever has elevated the players around them the way Diego has. Because you see, Messi might at times carry others. And Diego did that too. But Diego elevated players to a level where he was able to carry them. Because other than that, they would not have been fit for purpose. Messi makes others better as well, without question, but I don't believe he does it to the level of Diego. I don't believe he has been able to do what Diego did. And remember, Diego did this while he was high as fuck on cocaine. And yes, swearing was necessary. I just I just think Diego is the greatest player we've ever seen. I think... Sorry, let me rephrase that. I think Diego is the best player we've ever seen. Maradona, for me, on the pitch, has never been matched. Messi has had a better career. So Messi is the greater player in terms of body of work. But I think Maradona's apex is higher than anyone's ever gotten to before. In the same way, Luis Suarez is the best player Liverpool have ever had. Nobody else has hit the level he hit between January of 2013 and May of 2014. That 18-month span, nobody in the history of Liverpool Football Club has reached that level. But Suarez is not the greatest player in Liverpool history because of longevity, because others have done great things for longer. Gerrard, Dogleash, Souness, Barnes, Hansen. Suarez sits below them. He sits below Salah. Even though he's a better player, he sits below him in terms of Liverpool greats. But he is their best. That's why I have Maradona as the best, Messi as the greatest. I think there is differentiation needed between those two things. Uh, Last question then is actually one I'm going to push to tomorrow because I've just read it and it's actually going to take, uh, it's going to take some research on my behalf. So Alex wants to know, 
with Burnley and Sheffield United coming up for next season, could you do an analysis of their squads, their needs, and what players they could target coming into next season? Um, I'll, 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 will I get this done? I won't get this done tomorrow because tomorrow we've got the games to get through and the United game. Give me, give me Tuesday or Wednesday for this and I'll, I'll do this prop. Give me Wednesday for this. I might not be here Tuesday. I have an appointment that might not be able to be moved. But give me, give me Wednesday. I'll do this on Wednesday of next week. Remind me, Alex, just send me a message on Monday, maybe. Um, and I'll, I'll do this, but I should remember anyway. Uh, right, we're going to wrap up with the bit of gossip. I uh, don't think there's any other news to go into, really. Javi Gracia has defended his record at Leeds. Fair play. Um, Arsenal women have lost a fourth player to an ACL tear. I mean, that is just a horrendous run of luck. Leah Williamson, Beth Mead, and Vivian Medima already out. Laura Vinerover? I, I don't know the player at all. I'm not, not as familiar with the female players, but there is, there is a massive issue in women's football right now regarding ACL tears, and, and Simon Brundish is going to do some work around this. He works in women's football with Derby, um, so do do keep an eye out for that. Um, right, we'll just do the gossip and we'll be done. Argentina forward Lionel Messi could follow Cristiano Ronaldo to Saudi Arabia in a deal worth £320 million a year. That's mental. Like, you, you kind of have to do it. You kind of have to go and do it for a year or two. But I don't want him to go there. Um, Saudi Arabian club Al-Halil could rival could be rivaled for Messi's signature by Inter Miami. Uh, you don't have the cash. I, 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 my bet is he goes Barcelona for a year or two, and then he goes to the MLS, and I think they find a way to give him a Beckham deal where he gets the franchise down the line. Uh, Real Madrid are in talks with Jude Bellingham. Uh, Sheikh Jassim has abandoned plans to buy Neymar, instead targeting Kylian Mbappe, Eduardo Camavinga, and Kingsley Coleman. You have to love Christian Falk. The fella couldn't lie straight in his bed. He is an absolute spoofer of the most shameless, shameless proportions. Magnificent, magnificent lies from Christian Falk. Um, West Ham midfielder Declan Rice, Bayer Leverkusen winger Moussa Diaby, Crystal Palace pair Wolf Zaha and Mark Wehi are among Mikel Arteta's six-man wish list. He's not getting those six players. He must be out of your mind. Rice will be 80 million. Diaby will be 70. I'd imagine Gwehi will be pushing 50. You paid 50 for Ben White. You're definitely paying 50 for him. I don't know who the, don't know who the, uh, the sixth one would be, but you're not, you're not getting those players. You might get a couple of them. You're not getting them all. Chelsea are also interested in Zaha, who have perspective, who prospective manager Murcia Pochettino tried to sign during his time in charge of Spurs. Um, you've already got Mudrick and Sterling and Pulisic to play left wing. Don't buy a left winger. Tottenham have made Xabi Alonso their priority. I don't believe that to be true. 
Tottenham have also made contact with Ruben Amram. Um, I I think that would be a very clever move. I really do. I think he's really good. Boot Veghorst is keen to remain at Manchester United. Of course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> Talk about punching up. Um, Roma have placed a 35 to 40 million pound price tag on Tammy Abraham. Didn't they pay 35 million for my? I think they're going to want more. League One side Marseille will move to sign Wilf Zaha if they fail to qualify. Sorry, if they qualify for the Champions League. Uh, Wilf and Marseille, I could see. Newcastle could lure Rafinha back to the Premier League with a 70 million pound move for the Barcelona and Brazil man. I love Rafinha. I think he's a great player. Um, Chelsea are likely to let Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang leave in a free. Uh, yeah, they, they're going to have to because he's, he's just nobody who's going to want to pay money from. Aston Villa are in advance talks to bring Matteo Alemeni to the club as director of football. I don't think he's any good. I think he did a terrible job. He was at Valencia as well. So the best of luck to you, buddies. Uh, that's it. That's me. That's all I've got for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.